Live from WNUR News, I'm Alex Harrison. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Monday, February 14th, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, a conversation with 2020 presidential candidate Marianne Williamson. A deep dive on why romantic movies are so effective and compelling. And Northwestern gamers make time for the Valorant grind. Those stories and more coming up now on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in on this lovely Valentine's Day evening. We're wishing you and yours a low-stress time as we enter Week 7. In Campus Local tonight, 2020 presidential candidate Marianne Williamson visited Northwestern last Thursday, speaking at a town hall hosted by NU Political Union. Reporters Helen Bradshaw and Nick Song interviewed Williamson before the event, discussing war, ideology, higher education, and more. Here are the first 10 minutes of that interview. The full interview originally aired on Thursday, February 10th, 2022. Okay, so to begin, um, you've, you've said before that your father took you to Vietnam as a child to see the realities of war and really introduce you to that. What do you remember when you went there? Do you, what do you remember seeing and feeling and how did that impact you? Uh, When I was in the seventh grade, I came home from dinner one night and I said that my teacher had taught us the domino theory. And that was the idea that if we didn't fight in Vietnam, if we didn't fight the communists in Vietnam and stop it there, then all Southeast Asia would be overrun. And one day we would be fighting on the shores of Hawaii. And my father jumped up and said, Sophie Ann or sweetheart, as he often called her, Uh, get the visas, we're going to Saigon. And he started his rant about how the military industrial complex was not going to eat his children's brains. Um, My parents were international travelers. And not only did we go to Vietnam, but I traveled many, many places starting when I was 10 years old. My father... uh, he used to always say that people would say to him, why are you taking your kids all around the world? They'll never remember. And he used to say, these things will get under their skin. And it's really true. I'm a, I'm a different person, I think, than I, I would have been had I not only traveled to all those places, but particularly as a child. You know, Americans do tend to be very under-traveled. And as a consequence, we are vulnerable to propaganda that I don't think people in other places are as vulnerable to because other countries are close. Other countries aren't some distant, far off land. I mean, obviously we have Canada and Mexico, but just having Canada Canada and Mexico on your Northern and Southern border does not of itself give you a large sense of the global community. For sure. And, you know, I guess we're wondering, obviously going to Vietnam at any point um, in history is going to change how you view the U.S. What was it like going back to, um, you said you were in the seventh grade, so going back to middle school or high school um, in the U.S. after seeing the realities of war, as you put it? Well, on one hand, you knew fewer people at that time, a kid growing up in school who was likely to have traveled on their summer vacations as we did. 
But on the other hand, in a weird way, it was a more open society in those days. People didn't jump to conclusions about where you had been and what you had done because people didn't jump to conclusions about every little thing the way they do today. So I think people at that time were like, oh, wow, tell us what it was like. You know, this was 1965. We were just at the beginning of what would become the, the gargantuan anti-war protest movement of that time. I was 15. Was I 15? No, I was 13. By the time I was 16, 17, 18, 19, full-on anti-war protests, etc., which I think I would have been part of even if I had not made that journey. I think the larger point for me is that that trip was indicative of my father's sensibility in the home I grew up in, which was not only very international in perspective, but also in all ways emphatic that the human experiences of people mattered and must always be considered behind the mask of official political propaganda. Whether it was people in the other side of the world or on the other side of town. My father was an immigration lawyer. So I grew up in a home of profound humanitarian sensibility. And, you know, I was, I think I tweeted the other day, my father used to wake up in the morning, he'd walk around the house, beat the system, kids, beat the system, beat the system, kids. And I think I was 50 years old before I realized how not kidding my father was. He had grown up in poverty. You know, a lot of, and a lot of people in his generation did, because they'd been through the Depression. He grew up in real poverty. And he, I remember sometimes he would, we would be somewhere, and he would point out someone, a janitor, someone cleaning up an office building, someone we saw on a corner, and he would make us stop. He'd say, see that, see that kid? See, see that woman or see that man? And he'd say, she has a hard life. Well, he has a hard life. He, wanted, he did not want us to not notice. There, was a, uh, there is a play that was written by Arthur Miller, um, Death of a Salesman. And one of the fam famous lines is when Linda... Willie Loman's wife says to her sons about their father, attention must be paid. You must always pay attention to what human beings are going through. That's what I got from my father and my mother, because my mother executed the vision, you know? Yeah. He was, he was he was railing in his armchair. You know, she was the one <laughs> making it all happen. Definitely. Um, and speaking of theater, when you were 17, 18, um, 
you decided to go to Pomona College uh, mm-hmm. and study theater. I was wondering what brought you and there. And philosophy. And philosophy. I was wondering what brought you there to Pomona um, to begin with, as well as the decision I don't to know. exercise. I, I, I look back on that because my choices at the time were that or Brandeis University. And I wonder, uh, I wonder um, how my life might have unfolded differently with certain educational choices. I left college when I was in my junior year and then went to classes at University of Texas and University of New Mexico, but I never, I never um, graduated. But I think that in a weird way, you know, I'm at an age where you, you know, I read a book once where there was, it was a German writer. I can't remember her name. She said, in youth, you learn in age, you understand. And I think that, I have learned as much from my successes as my as from my failures, and I've learned as much from things. I've learned from everything. I think the only failure in life is what you fail to learn from. And I grew up um, how can I put this? My not graduating from college, and I'm certainly not bragging about it. And I'm certainly not suggesting it. <laughs> so kids, stay in school. Um, I experienced a level of outcast, a level of feeling a failure that I don't think I would have otherwise experienced. This is because you didn't graduate from college because or I while you were Because I didn't graduate. Because I did. I mean, you know, I think sometimes what would have happened if I had finished school, I probably would have gone to law school. My father was a lawyer. My brother is, is a lawyer. I, and I think about what my life would have been, but I don't think I would have had the career that I have had. But once again, that's not in any way to say that's a reason to drop out of college, guys. Um, I'm just saying I, I realized some things happened in my life because I fell off the bridge because I fell out of something. I realize that you know there's a there's a saying in in spirit in religion there is no spot where God is not. Wherever we are, there are things to be learned and things to be gained. You can find the full interview with Marianne Williamson on our website, wnur.news. On to arts and entertainment. On this Valentine's Day, you might find yourself watching a classic romantic movie to get yourself in the spirit. But what makes these films so compelling? Reporter Catherine Odom talked with romance movie aficionados, a student filmmaker, and a relationship expert to get to the bottom of why we love watching love. This story originally aired on Friday, February 4th, 2022. Everyone has a favorite romance movie. Ten Things I Hate About You. Lost in Translation. Pride and Prejudice. When Harry Met Sally, Love and Basketball. Friends with Benefits. Whether you watch them with your best friend, your significant other, or all by yourself, romances and romantic comedies have a special power to make us laugh, cry, and imagine our crush standing outside our window with a boombox. 
WNUR's arts and entertainment editor, Maria Camano, said she watches romance movies religiously with her roommates. I'm like a hopeless romantic. You've always had parents. You complete me. I wish I'd done everything on earth with you. These iconic lines have filled the dreams of generations of romantics just like Camano. One of Camano's roommates, Natalia Camino, said she likes watching romances with her roommates because they all have different opinions and preferences. We all have very, very taste when it comes to to men or just like romance in general. Yeah. And so watching rom-coms together is always entertaining because we'll have different takes. Camano's other roommate, Amina Almasri, said that she loves the enduring power of classic romances. There are themes in love and in those love stories that are still important to modern audiences. And like that's why they still elicit such an emotional reaction. But what is it that makes stories of love so timeless and universal? Part of it is like living vicariously through characters, which is, I think, why a lot of people enjoy watching rom-coms. That's Kobe Resnick, a sophomore radio, television, and film major and filmmaker. Resnick is the cinematographer for an upcoming student-produced film with a romantic storyline. Dr. Alexander Solomon, a CESPI professor, licensed clinical psychologist, and the host of the Reimagining Love podcast, said it's in our nature to be drawn to romance in the movies we watch. We're hardwired to be social creatures, so we are, um, our default setting is to be fascinated by relationships, um, especially romantic relationships. We are um, sort of organically voyeuristic about other people's love stories. Solomon herself said she enjoys watching romance on screen and even uses it as a teaching aid in her class, Marriage 101. Story of Us with Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer, um, Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon and Amy Driver. Those are the two that are on top of my head. And we would use a movie clip to demonstrate a concept in action. I would hear you say that you don't love me. Because if you say that... Solomon used that clip from Goodwill Hunting to teach about how trauma can impact our relationships. She said there can be a downside to on-screen romance, though. They put us at risk of feeling confused by our own struggles in relationships because there's no way of avoiding comparing our own love stories to the rom-com love story. Solomon said she also wishes there were more representation in romance movies so that more people can see themselves in these stories. When there's an absence of, for example, queer love stories, it makes it really difficult then for somebody to say, like, I deserve this, I am entitled to this, this is something that's for me, right? That's why representation matters so much. Romance movies can also perpetuate unrealistic expectations and stereotypes for romantic relationships. Resnick said his team is actively working to combat these pitfalls in his upcoming film. The expectations that men have in movies, which is like, they have to play the stoic, like quiet, mysterious figure. I, I think like women are generally not realistic characters in most rom-coms. Or, or they're, not, they're not people, they're pretty two-dimensional. Resnick added that he appreciates when a rom-com breaks norms and avoids cliché. But sometimes he admitted... Even the cheesiest rom-coms can just make us laugh and feel good. I was like, why am I even listening to you to begin with? You're a virgin who can't drive. That's a clip from my all-time favorite rom-com, Clueless. I've watched it at countless sleepovers over the years. For me, the power of Clueless is not in Alicia Silverstone's yellow plaid outfit or the slightly questionable storyline where she ends up with her stepbrother, 
It's in spending time with friends and bonding through an inherently human experience. I feel like there is like a real sisterhood in watching romance movies because I think it's something about like, like, you know, media that is not accepted as like maybe serious or like good. People are like, oh, it's so trashy. It's corny. It's cringy. But like, you know, it's fun. So near, far, wherever you are, I hope you find some time to enjoy a romance movie this Valentine's Day. Catherine Odom, WNUR News. Whether you prefer comedies, dramas, or dramedies, we hope you can get your fix of romance tonight. And out there in oddities. Even with the school's heavy coursework, Northwestern gamers are always on the grind. Reporter Emily Zoe talked to players of Riot Games' tactical shooter Valorant that also happened to be students here on campus. This is the sound of esports. Mame as well, so the operator's out of the picture. Caboose. Oh, no! Caboose! Oh That's insane! Oh, my God. A quick triple from Caboose. But what does esports sound like here at Northwestern? Today, I talked to some players slash students of the tactical shooter game Valorant about the vibrant esports community we have on campus, as well as their thoughts on the current state of the game at large. Because our school has such kind of a hyper-competitive nature, people think it's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would argue that it's definitely not. Uh, So I think there's probably a lot of like closeted gamers on (laughs) campus that just don't want to tell anyone. You just heard from Nadine Mansky, a senior in Medill, calling for Northwestern gamers to rise up. But even if you're not an expert gamer like Mansky, you've probably heard of the likes of League of Legends, CSGO, or Fortnite. Valorant, which was released in 2020 by the same company that owns League of Legends, is currently one of the most popular games out there. And Northwestern Esports Club is definitely playing Valorant. I'd say in a week, I play, let's say, 10 to 15 hours. My name is Matt Lee. I'm a freshman in Weinberg right now. Lee plays competitively for one of Northwestern's Valorant teams. I think because of the B team, I now consider Valorant kind of an extracurricular. Okay. Um, but I also do do other things, like I'm on the Frisbee team. Edison Tan, another freshman in Weinberg, agrees. It's actually been really interesting treating something that I've uh, had as a pastime, more mm-hmm. as an extracurricular, mm-hmm. like having set meeting times, practices, scrimmages, that type of stuff. It's uh, it's definitely been interesting. It, it kind of broke what I thought was the distinction between my own hobbies and like school extracurriculars. At Tan's peak, he was one of the top 1% of players in his region. Got as high as the top 3,000. Mm-hmm. But since then, I've been playing less and losing more. Given that it's only Tan's second quarter here, I asked how he's found Northwestern's gaming and Valorant community. Uh, I think the student-ranked community is bigger than I expected. I just quickly took a glance at the esports Discord we have, and there's five people playing right now. Oh. Um, <laughs> so it's it's definitely more extensive than I assumed it would be because when you come to university, especially with Northwestern being prestigious and, and whatnot, you would assume it's all academics and yeah. the social life is more like party. It's not, you don't really think of games or, mm-hmm. or video games. Mm-hmm. So it, it's definitely more extensive than I thought. Strong the student community may be, Tan doesn't feel like the school is supporting the esports club to the same extent that Northwestern's peer institutions are. We don't have like a school-supported 
esports uh, program as much as other schools.、Mm-hmm. Like, for just for example, UC Berkeley or even some of the Ivy Leagues、uh, really have started expanding their esports programs, like giving their students practice rooms, certain types of gear and support if, say, they don't have access to a computer. So I think the students definitely have a strong community here, but it's not technically a school supported one, like completely officially. Nadine Mansky, who you heard from the very beginning, also serves as the vice president of Northwestern Esports Club. What is the next step for Northwestern Esports? I'll tell you a little bit. I will tell you as much as I can.、Okay. Um, <laughs> we are really working on getting more funding for our club.、Uh, there's a lot of people who really want to be involved in a competitive capacity.、Mm-hmm. Uh, But we don't have as many resources as other schools because we haven't really been recognized as kind of an official esports, you know, organization club, whatever.、Mm-hmm. Um, but we're working with, you know, we have there's there's things in the works that we're working、uh, towards getting more funding and recognition for our players. And of course, there's always opportunities. I think people think that esports club is only for people who want to compete、mm-hmm. collegiate competitively, and、mm-hmm. it's certainly not. Like we have a great community of. People who play games casually as well. Match found. As a casual Valorant player myself, I'm excited to see what's next. Live from WNUR News, I'm a Viper main, a Sentinels fan, and also Emily Zhou. One day we'll all get to a mortal rank. In the headlines today, Northwestern's women's basketball team pulled off a huge upset at home Sunday, defeating the fourth-ranked Michigan Wolverines 71 to 69 in double overtime. It was a full-team effort by the Wildcats, with double-digit scoring by four players, including a career-high 18 points from freshman guard Jillian Brown. Next up for the Cats is a trip to Bloomington this Thursday to take on the fifth-ranked Indiana Hoosiers. In other sports news, Super Bowl 56 was played Sunday night at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. The Cincinnati Bengals and Los Angeles Rams kept it close throughout the game, but the Rams triumphed in the end off of a pass to wide receiver Cooper Cup for the game-winning touchdown with one minute 25 seconds left. This anchor, who happens to be from Cincinnati, would advise listeners to watch out for more Bengals appearances in the Super Bowls to come. Turning to international affairs. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken announced Monday that the American embassy in Ukraine will be temporarily moved from the capital city of Kiev to the western city of Lviv. This move comes after repeated calls for American citizens to leave Ukraine in the face of continued Russian military buildup along the border ahead of a possible invasion. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky also announced Monday that his administration believes a Russian attack will occur this Wednesday, February 16th. On Wall Street today, stocks took minor losses across the board. The Dow Jones dropped 172 points, finishing at 34,566. The Nasdaq lost about one quarter of a point, staying at 13,791, and the S&P 500 fell 17 points, down to 4,402. Taking a look at the weather, the cold snap will continue tonight with a low of 21 degrees, cloudy skies, and light winds. But heading into Tuesday, temperatures will get just above freezing, with a high of 38 and a low of 35. Mostly cloudy skies will keep things shady, while stronger winds of up to f- of 15 to 25 miles per hour will keep things chilly on the walk to class. Finally, Wednesday will be unseasonably warm but wet, with a high of 50 and rain showers and high wind gusts throughout the day. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. 
For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News and Instagram at WNUR News 893. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. You can also find us on our new website, WNUR.News. Our producer today is Justine Fisher. Our reporters are Helen Bradshaw, Nick Song, Catherine Odom, and Emily Zhao. I'm Alex Harrison. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. Catch our next show this Wednesday, February 16th at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.